Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, episode 53. I am beloving it. Ooh. All right. Welcome back. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah, I've been, you know, traveling around the world, you know, low flying, yeah, flying, taking the subway, the train, you know. You've been going to the great state of Florida a lot. You've been, you've been in Europe. Yes, and the UK. And the Um, UK. Well, I mean, I guess, okay, well, UK is no longer in Europe, I guess, technically. Uh, Yeah, so now you're back. Now now I am back. I I, I ditched you for a while. but I decided to come back to you. So we're back again, back together. You know, I, I feel abandoned, but, I, you know, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you feel that way. I, I I didn't know you had that kind of feeling, you know. Like nice you, to you be missed, me. huh? Yeah, yeah. It feels good that someone actually misses me. Oh. <laughs> but I digress. All right. So now that we're back in the game, uh, and... Um, Back to a more classic episode of just talking watches we want to talk about and other topics. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the slimmer updated Belova Lunar Pilot Watch. Oh, so Sage, you have the Belova Moon Watch, right, already? I do, yes. It was gifted to me by my brother, and um, it's a great timepiece as an everyday watch. There are some flaws which I'll talk about because... Um, what Below have done with this update is fix some of the flaws that I wanted to highlight. So, yeah, but uh, I mean, this is a good, a really good entry also into like watch collecting because it's also got a history as well. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the Belova Pilot Moon Watch, uh, the Lunar, it, it stems from the prototype that was worn by David Scott who was an astronaut that commanded Apollo 15. And he had a prototype chrono that was um, supplied by Belova, you know, for testing. So that was his like backup, but also his personal watch. So it was not issued by the government. Um, so the the tale goes that during his the lunar excursions, uh, the crystal of uh, Scott's primary watch, which was the Omega Speedmaster, wow. popped off. Wow. All right, let me. It's it's Tuesday, so it's Speedy Tuesday. This is sacrilege. Let me let me just get get it out there, okay? There's no NASA record of this crystal popping off. NASA records everything. If an astronaut has a chart on mission, it's on a it's on a logbook somewhere, okay? So the fact that there's no record of this watch actually failing um, should be a red flag to anybody who believes this alleged tale. Right? So let's just, let's just conspiracy put now. This is part of the whole conspiracy. I'm, just, I'm not saying that he was paid off by the Belova Corporation, but I am saying that he was paid off by the Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to say the Republicans paid off, uh, you know, uh, David Scott or some some nonsense <laughs> like that. All right. No comment. Yeah. So, so, yeah, he had this prototype. Yeah. So he had this prototype. OK, so let's just say something happened with this primary watch, which is Speedmaster. Maybe he tossed it. He banged it up on purpose, whatever it may be. Yeah. It is what it is. He wore the Belova prototype on his uh, third EVA excursion on the moon. Yeah. yeah. So that's how it became the claim to fame. And because it was a personal watch, it was 
he kept it and it was within the the like kind of like the family heirloom till like uh, what 2015 or so it was sold and auctioned for 1.3 million right so in recognition in 2016 Belova released the uh lunar pilot as a homage and then uh, and it's a it's a fairly good uh recreation of what the original uh prototype was and to listeners out there um, who have not seen the Belova Lunar Pilot, it looks remarkably similar to the Omega Speedmaster Pro, you know, because yeah, that's because, on purpose, right? That's on yeah, purpose. yeah, yeah. I mean, to meet the NASA specifications, so for visibility and functionality, yeah, correct, correct. So it's it's very similar in in design and aesthetic. So in this year, uh, they made some. Wait, couple one, of one thing I wanted to say before you go to Slimmer, uh, just to point out that the original Belova had a, I think, a universal Genève uh, mechanical movement, and uh, your present lunar pilot is a high high performance quartz, right? So correct. Yes, yeah. yes. I was going to touch upon that a little bit later, but yes, this is a quartz, but um, kind of like a mecha quartz, I think, on your new mark. If, yeah, I, I think it clean sweeps, right? As far as the chronograph, it's a very clean sweep because yeah. it's a very so high. I don't, I don't think it's a mecha quartz. I just think it's a high beat quartz. So it, it is. It is. What I was saying is like the way it it functions. Um, right. It's kind of like the when the chronograph hands. I'll jump to it right now, but whether the chronograph hand is sweeps so smooth, and even the um, the seconds hands, um, on the, which is now at the six o'clock. It is not like a jumping seconds. It's more of a bit more smoother because of the high frequency. Right. So it's right. mimicking a mechanical uh, watch, but it's not. And, you know, um, for its price point, it's perfectly fine. I have no issue against that because yep. one of the advantages you get is the high accuracy of, let's say, plus or minus 10 seconds per year. That's really impressive. That's really impressive. Yeah. That, that's a function of the high vibrations, right? It's, it's, it's the high beat, you know, it gives you a little... Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a fantastic watch and it's a great way to enter the watch game. And yeah. you know, this watch has a lot of history, as I just mentioned. So what did they do to the lunar pilot? So they made some size reductions in the sense that the the dial size is the same, but the case has been reduced. So it was 45 millimeters, and now they reduced it to 43 and a half. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a, a plus because I have the, let's say, the first iteration of the Lunar Pilot. And it does wear a little bit big um, in the yeah. sense I I have tiny wrists. The case size is not the difference, but it's the lug to lug length. Which and it doesn't curve reduce. down. It, it kind of sits like a bit like a like a like a plate. On, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they reduced the lug to lug length, I think, from fifty-two to fifty, which is a big improvement, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't feel snug on my wrist with the one I have. Yeah. It's comfortable, but it's not like snug. So that is an issue to me. Yeah. Um. They also did some additional finishing to the watch. So, the case on the first gen pilot, let's just say. Is mostly like a satin finish. It's not exactly matte. It's but it's a very smooth, but um, it's a smooth matte finish, but more satin because there's a little bit of sheen. Yeah. The new one is now more of a polished look, so a bit more jewel-like in appearance. Interesting. I think that makes it a bit more visually interesting too. Um, cool. 
Yeah, and um, the case design is more or less the same as the first gen. So it's got like a stepped bezel. Um, so it makes the case look a little bit thinner. Yeah. Um, and that's about the same style as what it is right now. And it's got a raised uh, crystal as well. So it's got, it got like that Hallmark vintage. To give that's you an cool. idea, like if you remember, if you recall, like your Zen 144. Yeah. It, it it's it's a thick case but they because it's got that stepped bezel uh surrounding the dial it makes it look slimmer interesting so, okay i think i know what you're talking about okay um the other unique thing that they've done is now it comes in two flavors let's just say um there's the traditional black which is the one i have so but the like gen the, one yeah yeah the gen one the black and white which is basically very similar to what you see in the uh speedmaster but now they also yeah. added a a white dial with the blue sub dials and a blue tachometer scale so like a like a panda blue dial is that a way of saying I, it? yeah i like that that's that would be my pick actually i think it's really yeah. so yeah. i want to talk about that one a little bit more because it's a bit more unique compared to the black dial so if you look at the dial it's got like this very rough grainy feel to it like a sandpaper like yeah um textured yeah yeah it's very textured in that sense the sub dials has got that you know that circumferential like ribbon pattern um i think it's called like an azurage or something like that um but it's got a, a pattern within itself okay interesting okay and cool. the indices which are applied in both cases i believe there's a nice blue border around each of the indices, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of pops. It kind of gives it. It does. It makes yeah. a huge difference. It's such a small little um, design feature, just has a bit, quite a bit of um, of a large impact. It's really visually interesting. Cool, yeah. Yeah. And the other cool bit is the pushers. So the pushers are like more rectangular based, kind of like the like the i wouldn't say they're exactly the same as the the bund watches you know the hoyer buns okay which is a bit more integrated but these are very slim it's actually quite nice to operate but on the blue panda they're blue oh cool so, yeah so it's another unique feature right there too cool yeah i think that blue panda is the one to get of the yeah it's yeah, it, in a sense, really it kind of hallmarks the um the if you were to relate it to the Speedmaster, the is it the Snoopy? No, not the Snoopy. Snoopy. Yeah, I was thinking the Snoopy too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's it's kind of hallmarked to that, but I think you know, uh, Bulova was not really thinking of that. It may have just been coincidence. At least that's my thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the back of the case, it's very similar to what it is right now. They talk about the um, the excursion that was the watch was used back in August seventh, nineteen seventy one, EVA three, or sorry, uh, July twenty sixth to August seventh is the moon mission, but the 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 excursion occurred in August second. So, cool, cool. All right. Well, I mean, you and I have not actually handled the new lunar pilot. Um, I'll just say from online, the reviewers have said that the size isn't that noticeably different. Like. They know it's a bit smaller on paper, but it doesn't wear noticeably smaller. Um, so make that out of what you will. Um, 
you know, I would have to assume the lug to lug length is probably the more noticeable size than the case width. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really do wish that they did something to curve the watch a little bit. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm on the Speedmaster right now, and the the curved lugs really do make a difference, right? It kind of hugs the wrist a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I really wish Belova did that. Um, but still, I, I'm curious to try the new size and that blue and white. I definitely, I think it's the way to go. So you know, you really. Have I, to... I would agree. I think it's yeah. it's a it's a nice contrast and B, um, the texture dial does make a huge difference yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, the other things that they did is they updated the strap and the bracelet. So I think a common critique of the the Gen One Lunar is the strap. So I have the leather strap. Yeah. And that's another one that I'm not a big fan of in a sense. It's just a bit too tight in the sense it doesn't want to um, hug the wrist. But I think that's just partly also due to the the lug to lug length as well, for my, at least for my wrist. Right, 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 right. right. Um, so supposedly, you know, Belova made some updates to that. Um, it's a 20 millimeter uh, bracelet. So I believe it's a step up. So that's a nice thing to 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 implement. So all in all, I think it's a great watch. Um, and my opinion is for someone who wants to get a nice watch but doesn't want to spend an obscene amount of money but also have some a bit of history, should consider this. Nice. Um, now, the price is a bit of interest because it's listed at least on a blog to watch. You know, they reported as $8.95 US. Yeah. But I'm sure you can find these at a lower price point. At least the Gen ones, you can find them for around four hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do think that there's a lot more interest in the Gen twos now that they've come out. Um, because I I see that blue and white a lot on Instagram. Um, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that like you should be able to find Gen twos for lower than retail. Um, and I, that's my. Opinion. I don't know about just yet. Maybe eventually. Yeah. Maybe eventually. Um, I think there's still kind of there's 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 a bit of interest on this watch. Um, so oh yeah, the 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 the, the blue panda is, is a very nice watch. It's very cool. Yeah, I mean, I I see it a lot on Instagram, which is my unofficial barometer of what people are wearing and what people are into. So um, right, cool. All right, very nice. So blue and white for both of us. Yes, yes, I would have to agree. You know, when I first looked at it, to be honest with you, I'm like, okay, this is just another lunar pilot. Like, why am I wanting to cover this? But when I started looking at the blue and white more, I yeah. was like, okay, you know what? There's some, there's something going on here. Watch. Yeah, there's yeah. something going on. Worth the look. And then next thing I'm like, oh man, this is a very nice watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would I get it? No, because I already have a lunar pilot. But would I recommend it to anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of duplicative for you right now. All right, my uh, next release, the other Belova we're going to talk about is actually a related brand. So it's not technically Belova. I think Accutron's been spun out. Um, yes, right. I think that was very recent, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was last year that was spun out. Uh, right. But basically, this is the Accutron Astronaut. Um, so just to give people kind of a history lesson as well, back in 1963, the astronaut was worn in space during uh, the Mercury Atlas 9 mission uh, when they were orbiting Earth. Um, and then, you know, they were issued to pilots who flew the X-15. Um, I think uh, the pilots that that flew the A-12 ox cart, the SR-71s, they were wearing, uh, you know, Accutron astronauts. Uh, so the it's a GMT. It's a 1960s uh, electronic watch. It used basically a tuning fork 
technology uh, to operate. So it's a very unique kind of um, you know movement, um, really a relic of its time. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know if anyone uses tuning forks right now. I think it's kind of didn't like, they Belova do something recent with the Accutron prior to spinning off Accutron? They had like a it was it was in relation to what you just said with the tuning fork. They released one. We I believe we covered it quite a while back, a couple of years ago. I I'd have to check. I'd have to check. They they you know I oh you know was it that uh, that translucent watch? It it may have been yeah. that release. I was that a tuning fork? I don't remember. It may have been actually. Yeah. Uh, so I. Yeah. So no, I, I think it's. I think it was really like remarkable technology when it came out. Yeah, so. no, it, it was cutting edge. I mean, it's pre-quartz. You know, this was this was considered the future of watches. Um, the interesting thing is, so you know, Accutron has re-released the Astronaut GMT. Um, the the reissue is limited to three hundred pieces, but this time they're going with an automatic movement, uh, which is controversial. Um, kind of kind of a completely different vibe than, um, you know, the original, uh, because you don't have that kind of weird. Uh, tuning fork uh, movement on the inside right uh, it has the sw330 gmt movement um, it's got a partial exhibition case back uh, the movement has a 42 hour power reserve uh, beats at four hertz um, and interestingly they've up upgunned the size a little bit of of the watch uh, so it's gone from a 38 millimeter the, the vintage examples to a 41 millimeter um, and if you look at the actual bezel right um it's a it's a day date bezel, but it's not at six and six. It's at five thirty and five thirty. Weird. Okay. Yeah, and that's supposed to be more indicative of sunrise and sunset generally. I I it, it's it's I I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure of that necessarily. Wait, so the bezel true. fits, or no, no, no. I I it, it moves, but it, okay. the black and white isn't at six and six. If you see where oh, right, right, right. Okay, got it. Yeah, yes, yes. It's a subtle. It's a subtle. subtle yeah. Um. So it's kind of a quirky thing. Um. But, uh. You know what else? They they put it on a vintage bullet bracelet. So the original Accutrons came, you know, on that kind of, um, vintage style bracelet. So they've recreated that. Um. And all in all, the whole package is coming in at thirty five hundred. So, um, look, you know, I, I think it's a very attractive watch. Um, you know, I think the controversy for me would be that the change in movement, because I think so much of that watch's identity was that tuning fork move. You know, yeah. this might be the first time where we would like argue that, you know, you should not change the, let's say the heart of a watch from what it was to something that we always just like to do. For example, like you just said, right? Like, um, this might be the one time where we will say like, you know what, maybe switching over to a mechanical movement is a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I would always say you should go mechanical. Right. But right. In this instance, this watch was uniquely special because of that tuning fork. Yes, uh, exactly. Everyone, you know, look in the 1960s, GMTs were not uncommon, right? A lot of companies did that, but what set us, you know, what set aside the astronaut was this tuning fork thing. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there's a guy on on Instagram. I forgot his account, but basically, he he services old uh, Belova Accutron uh, tuning fork watches, and he brings them back to life, and he shows the kinds of guts of it. And it it's a very unique technology, you know. Um, and I I don't know, it, you know, we'd have to double check about about Accutron bringing back the tuning fork, but 
Um, I would hope that, you know, if they were able to do that, that they would do that for the astronaut, because I really think the astronaut needs that to be kind of set itself apart. Um, but look, other than that, I think it's a very attractive GMT, um, 3,500, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's up there. Um, but it is limited to 300 pieces. So it's a true limited edition. Yeah. Um, and it's a, the... it's a cult favorite. It's, it's a cult, uh, space watch slash aviation watch, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's got a following. So, um, it's not a watch without very, a... probably very quirky. I wouldn't say like the people collecting it are quirky or anything. Well, maybe they I'd are say they're quirky. I'd say they're quirky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is such a quirky watch to like have a cult following. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yeah. It has a backstory, absolutely. And um it's a very the cool watch is, is attractive. Um the one other thing I wanted to mention were the lugs. It's very angled and like piercing. If you look at the, the picture where it shows the back, yeah, where you got the case back, you see the lugs very, how angled very it see that's what Belova should have done because they're really angled down to hug your wrist. Yeah. That's what they should have done with the lunar pilot because yeah these look like claws like they're gonna like pierce yeah, into your skin they're really angled down yeah yeah, yeah yeah so um it's it's a unique you know it's a unique offering it's not it's not going to be around for you know very long because of its 300 you know uh, limited edition run but um you know i i think i think it brings something to the table it's a different type of gnt than you know a lot of other people have on the market um so yeah i'm, I'm kind of would it be cool to have the bezel in different colorways uh, I think so. Um, I, my understanding is not all the all the astronauts wear black and white or dual colored. Um, right. I think you know that's a particular uh, line. So um, I, I do think that um, you know there will be other. You know, Accutron's not done with this lineup, right? So like I'm sure they're going to yeah. they're going they're to have others. You know, so um, you know, yeah, I'm looking at vintage examples here, and like one of them is just like a steel. Uh, you know, no dual bezel, dual color bezel. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, it's a very clean kind of design. It's it's almost like you don't even see the lugs, you know, in some of these pictures. So, it's it's like just like a circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's 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 a nice watch, cool. but yeah, I don't know if I would personally like buy it or or place it in my you know top ten of watches to buy. Yeah, I mean, I do think that if Accutron came back with a tuning fork and if they could keep it below $1,000, I think that would be really, really attractive. Now, like, if I was looking at, like, say, space watches, like, say I concentrate my collection on space watches, this would be something, yeah, for sure, it'll be higher up the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think thematically it's an interesting offering. Yes. All right, Sanch. That, that's All right. lower for so... What do you got? Now we're jumping away from Belova. Now that we talked about their two big releases, and we're going to talk about a little bit about um, Hamilton, and they updated their um, Jazz Master line to have a new series called like the Jazz Master Performer. Yeah. So I mean, as far as Hamilton's different lines, I mean, I think we we both agree Hamilton's khaki military line is their bread and butter, right? I mean, that's like. That's the I don't know. I, to be honest, I actually don't know. I, I tell yeah. you why, because yeah, if you read the article, like within the Jazz Master, they have like 200 watches or variations of watches, right? In the sense is like, which is from a sales point of view, which is their bread and butter, the khaki or their Jazz Master? Who knows? I would say the khaki. I would say the khaki. 
I think um, most people buy the buy the military watches. I don't for Hamilton. I I don't I don't see a lot of jazz masters in the wild. I I really don't. No, I mean you're you could be right, but maybe we're just lo- you know we're just looking at what we want to see, like in the sense that okay, we're aiming. We we love the khaki. I I would like you know personally, I would think that the khaki is probably their biggest lineup, and for sure, right? But I I'm, what I'm trying to say is like the jazz master is up there in terms of like their offering product offering um we'd have to see we'd have to see yeah. some. i yeah. mean i i i have <laughs> the belt button there because there's so many khaki watches too and they right. have a huge lineup and it's both quartz and mechanical and automatic and in fact i picked up a hamilton khaki that we'll talk about in a couple episodes you've um, been on a on a buying spree as of late have i know. i feel like i have it i feel like i've been pretty good i think you've bought two Right, that we haven't covered on the podcast yet. Yeah, maybe three. No, not two. Two. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll jump to that. Yeah, we'll jump to that. <laughs> this is dedicated to a the jazz master. Watch. So yes, tell me what's master. special about the jazz master. This jazz master. Yeah. So to be honest, I'll I'll jump to it. Um, I don't see anything unique with this jazz master. Wow. But. <laughs> <laughs> should we continue talking should we just wrap it up right there? yeah it's let's wrap it up it's a wrap but anyways it's uh it's uh it's a new product offering within the jazz master line it there there are you know this the three handers which are in 38 and 34 millimeters the ones i'm going to focus on are the 42 millimeter chronos so these are what i mean about the case sizes so it comes in four kind of flavors. There's a black dial, stainless steel case, blue dial, stainless steel case. There's a black dial with a black PVD coating for the case. And then there's, if I were to pick one, it'll be the white dial with the kind of like a rose gold, gold tinted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got like a two-tone feel for it. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's the best one of the watch. Um it either comes with a strap or a bracelet and it's a little bit on the thicker side. It's about 15 millimeters thick. And that's just mainly because of the movement. Um, it's got this caliber H31 movement and I believe it's um, 7750 based. So it's got the three sub dials at the three, six and nine. It's got a date at the 430. Um, and it's got a tachymeter bezel. Um, which I do find it weird because it's within the Jazz Master. I mean, I don't know why you want to. He's doing jazz on the run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the Jazz Master, you know, it stems from like the Jazz Age during the early 20th Late century. 30s, um, yeah. And maybe, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century when Hamilton was actually an American company. Yeah. Uh, in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So. I mean, now they're Swiss own, but that's where the Jazzmaster uh, line originated from. So it's a bit of a oddity in my sense of like, you know, why would you make this with a chronograph? Sure, you know, that's fine. Everyone loves a chronograph, but a tachymeter scale and, you know, adding that to the Jazzmaster is kind of an, uh, an oddity to me. Sanj, there's an elephant in the room that you haven't mentioned yet. And this is a very obvious elephant. And I'm waiting for you to mention it and you haven't done it yet. What, what the the fact it looks very similar to a Rolex Daytona. Exactly, exactly. The sub dials you know, have that that rim on them, and it's yes. know, black bezel. Uh, so obviously, yes. chronograph. Um, very Daytona esque. Very, very Daytona esque. 
And if this well, was a I mean, 369, for example, right, on the chronograph subdial uh, layout, it looks yeah. very similar to like a Tag Heuer Formula One chrono. I could see that. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's, I, I would take the two-tone, but yeah, it's, it, there's nothing, yeah, it's very strange. And I don't know why they would have the date as well. I think the date kind of ruins it a little bit of the, the aesthetic. I think every company needs, you know, it, it, it's 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 become industry kind of like shorthand that, you know, the, the casual buyer wants a date. So we have to put a date on. I guess. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, you know, there should be no date. It would be much cleaner. Um, um, I do think well, yeah, it's the, Daytona, on... the Daytona look isn't an accident. I, I do think that they're trying to sell these watches to people that want that Daytona look and not have to pay the Daytona price or wait the Daytona time. Uh, Which so, is fair. I mean, you know, yeah, it's I mean, fair. Daytona's a very expensive watch now. It's. I mean, it's absurd. It's. It's absurd. Yeah. So, and you know, these go for about two thousand three hundred ninety-five euro to two thousand five two thousand five hundred forty-five euro. So for what you're getting with the watch, it's not bad at all. I mean, it's. I wouldn't say it's really overpriced or something. I think it's prayer, uh, priced fairly well. Yeah. Um, and within the ballpark of you know the competition, it's just like a personal aesthetic look. Just like the sense. the white dial and the you know the white dial and the rose gold uh, case that looks more Daytona esque, whereas the black dial and the uh, stainless steel or the PVD, yeah, you know the Daytona esque as well. But I think that looks more tag Heuer from the one to me. Got it. Got it. So all right, that's a miss. It's a bit of a miss. There are the three handers, which you know, like I said, I talked about. Uh, that's coming out. It's one thousand one hundred twenty-five to one thousand two hundred seventy. Um, we're, based we're not, on we're not H10. Bother. We're not gonna. Yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah, we're not gonna bother. But just the listeners out there, it's got an eighty-hour power reserve. It's based on the Powermatic eighty movement. Listen, people aren't dialing in to listen to listen to us about talk about three handers. All right, we're done. We're done. We're moving on. All right, Sanchez. What? What? <laughs> you just talked about a khaki mechanical. Those are like ninety percent of them are three handers. All right. Listen, we're moving on. We're done. All right. We're going on to bigger and better things. And by that, I mean bigger and better things. All right. So what you have? Seiko. What, what do you have? We got Seiko, Sand. We got Seiko. Oh no! Seiko How did I miss this? How <laughs> did I miss this? So was this even not. in the notes? Oh my goodness, it was. Yes. Believe oh. it or not, Sanch. Believe it or not, the post okay. line hasn't had a GMT yet. Could you believe that? I find that hard to believe. So the is this released this, after the Seiko Five GMT? The Seiko Five is in prospects. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Like, so this is yes. Yeah, you're yeah. Yep. So uh, hard to believe it, but Seiko has not had a GMT-enabled watch in the Prospects line. Uh, so, you know, the big GMT release, as you mentioned from Seiko, was for the Seiko 5 line, which is, you know, a, a tier below Prospects, not considered Prospects. Uh, this year, Seiko kicks it up a notch. Uh, as of June 2023, they're releasing, uh, you know, three new models, uh, the SPB381, the black, the SPB383, the green, and the SPB385, the Save the Ocean LE, uh, which will be limited to 4,000 pieces. So, um, you know, very quickly, the non-limited pieces are about 1,700 euro. The limited Save the Ocean is 1,900 euro. Um, why this hasn't happened yet is a real mystery. Uh, you know, I think Rolex, uh, Omega, you know, 
basically everybody who who's running a dive watch line has figured out that you should just add a GMT variation on those watches. Uh, I don't know what Seiko waited so long to do this for, uh, but they just did. Uh, so, you know, basically what they're doing for the base uh, of the watch, they're going for the second gen Marine Master 200. So I have the first gen Marine Master 200. Uh, I think, uh, was it two years ago? They released the second gen Marine Master 200, which is uh, a bit of a more slimmer case. So they're going to use that as the base for the GMT models. Uh, 42 millimeter case, 13 millimeters in height. So it's not a small diver. Uh, it's just a slightly slimmer version of, of what I have. Um, you know, and with the GMT, you know, central uh, 24 hour GMT hand, uh, 24 hour scale on the inner flange of the watch. So if, if you look at the, uh, the inside of the bezel, you'll see basically the 24 hour uh, tracker. Um, and it's powered by the 6R54 automatic uh, caliber movement. So it's got 72 hours of power, power reserve, uh, beats at three Hertz. So that is the technical rundown. Um, obviously coming in three flavors. I do think that this is long overdue. I, it's kind of shocking to think that they haven't had a GMT in the Prospects line yet. Um, but yeah, that, that's the lineup, Sam. So of the three, what are your thoughts here? What, do you, what are you thinking? I would take the Save the Ocean. You like the Save the Ocean. Yeah, so yeah. For, for listeners, what's the Save the Ocean dial look like to you? Kind of like an Arctic glacier sort of thing? Yeah, or? it's like an Arctic um, blue. So a very, very light blue, but even the texture on the dial, I don't know if that's a graphical texture or an actual texture, but it's got streaks, kind of like the side of a glacier. Yeah. Uh, and the even the inner chapter ring, which has houses the, um, the GMT markings, um, half of it is in white and the half of it is in that glacier, glacial blue. Oh, cool. I didn't notice that. Okay. And in the seconds hand, the pip, it's got a, you know, typically it's like a red pip. This one's yeah. blue. Oh, wow. Good eye. Good eye, Sanch. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Very cool. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot, actually. Um, I'd go for the green. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that of the kind of a Hulk look. You know, I, I kind of like that. Uh, this is for the people who, who cannot wait or don't want to spend on a Rolex Hulk and want to buy this. I mean, I, I do, you know, I... I'd oh, like no, no, to... not even the Rolex Hulk. How about the Destro, even though that's a left hand? <laughs> yeah. Right hand. I mean, I, I do think that the Marine Master line is very attractive. And I have a Marine Master 200, and I love that watch. So, you um... know what? I put it this way if they were to make a GMT of the Marine Master 200 that you have with the blue bezel, oh, be yeah. 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 No, I, I think it'd be cool. Also, we've, we've neglected to mention that the, the date is at. Uh, 4:30 on this, so there's a little bit of a 4:30 date window there. Um, but look, I I don't I don't it doesn't I don't find it really terribly distracting. Um, I do think it's... no, but you know it'll be nice if they just removed it. I mean, well, it's a GMT; they have to have a date. <laughs> it kind of goes. Yeah, with it. you, it's can't, okay. you, you can't you can't do it without a date, right? So um, I guess yeah, you kind of have to. But um, you know, it is color color corrected. I I think for the black and the green. Uh, they are color corrected, yes. Uh, for the Save the Ocean, it's white, which is interesting. Yeah, that's the least color corrected one. Yeah, it's kind of controversial. I don't know what to make of it. But you know what? You can let it fly because there is, you know, hints of white around, I guess. Yeah. And you, you couldn't really put a black one in there. That that would look kind of odd. So Yeah. All the right, one thing I always liked about the Marine Master 200 was actually the bezel. Like, it, 
like the feel of the bezel and, and the pops. operation, the look, the it had that glossy look. Yes. Um, yeah, it pops. Yeah. It really popped. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, I, I like the handset that they've chosen here. I do like that the they use the stoplight seconds hand. Um yeah, I mean look, it, the reason we're being so curt and kind of short with this is that we've talked about the Marine Master 200 line multiple times. I have one. Um so you know yeah. We're very familiar. There's not there's not a whole lot of ground being broken here, except that it's a GMT this time. So um, had to sneak in a Seiko. Had to do it. Sorry, Sam. Don't Sorry. worry. I got one. Something else for you, just yeah, to make that? you happy. Since you were emotional for me leaving you for a couple of months, I had to do something nice. What do you got? But you got? before we get to that, we're gonna talk about one more. Okay. And this one is the Certina DS2 chronograph automatic so this Ooh. one has a quite a bit of a unique history um so it's based on the late 60s or 70s inspired they were called the ds2 chrono olympic uh line of watches back then yeah and the claim to fame is actually very interesting so there was this japanese um i guess we can call him a daredevil yeah um I'm trying to, yes, his name was Yuchiro Mura. Yeah. And he was known for skiing down Everest from near 8,000 meters to 2,000 meters. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when he descended, he strapped on a spare skis and went down. And it, it he reached speeds of up to 100 miles an hour or about 160 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Um, and it's it's documented. They even made a uh, documentary, which apparently won an Oscar, supposedly. The man who skied down Everest. So quite mad. But when he did that, he wore the Colonel Olympic uh, watch, per se. The Certina Colonel Olympic? Yeah, the DS2 Colonel Olympic. So there's a picture mm -hmm. on the monochrome watches um, from a blog to watch, if I'm not mistaken, um, with a picture of him. Um, maybe not. I'll have to refer to maybe a different one. But anyways, he 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 thundered down Everest going at 100 miles an hour wearing this watch. And um, Sertina decided to bring a flavor, a homage to his watch back called the DS2. And they released uh, two different kinds of chronographs. And very, again, like I said, vintage inspired 60s, 70s style where you have a tonneau cased watch, which either is stainless steel or stainless steel, which is a PVD gold coated. Yeah. Um, the gold coated, I believe, has a green dial. It's kind of hard to see with the pictures. It looks black, but yeah. And the stainless steel one is in a blue, and they're both panda based. I love um, this. This looks awesome. This looks awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a great looking watch. Um, it's a bit of a chunky monster because it's about 15 millimeters thick or just over 15 millimeters thick. Um, but, you know, it's a well-proportioned looking watch. So it's a bi-compact style. So you got two sub-dials, um, one at the three o'clock, the other one at the, the nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, have a date complication at the six o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and the depending on which case type you get, so the gold or the stainless steel, um, there's some subtle, unique features for each one of them. For example, the the blue, the dial's got, at each five-minute marker, it's got hints of yellow. 
Ooh, and the second yeah. hand is also yellow as well. Oh, yeah. sorry, not the second hand, the chronograph hand. Chronograph hand. So yeah. It's playing with the contrast as well. Very where cool. the green dial is a little bit more subtle, but it's it's got like hints of gold or like a bronzy look, I guess. Oh, okay. Uh, around the uh, five-minute marker, even on the three o'clock subdial, it's got like this very gold bronze um, lettering to it, as well as the marking within the subdial as well. Yeah. I like the blue one because the three o'clock subdial, you know, that the, 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 the sections that are highlighted are in red. Yes. Um, which I think pops with the yellow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's I mean, really, if, really you recall, like if you were to research like Hoyer watches back in the day or even like um, Breitling watches, the Navitimers, the chronographs, they would have that like that look, you know, yeah. where you have that, that red arc yeah. uh, to indicate a certain time length. Um, so, and it's got a tachymeter scale just on the outside of the dial. Um, this is and, really cool. This is really cool. Yeah. So it's 43 millimeters in case size. So 43.3. So it's not, it's fairly on the larger size, but I think, you know, with the tonal style, it might be, that. yeah, it might wear quite nicely because the lugs are not too long and they're integrated into the case. Yeah. Um, the movements, an ETA based movement based on the 750, it's got 68 power reserve and it's got some anti-magnetic properties such as the hairspring. And nice. the price is actually quite attractive. Um, so it's about 2000 bucks for the green dial and the, the PVD gold. And I think it's a few like 15 euros or Swiss francs cheaper. So nice. around 2000 bucks for this watch. I this is my favorite watch that we've talked about this episode. I I think this. Yeah, no, it's very really attractive. I really, I really think it's cool. It does have a very vintage look to it, you know, which I, which I love. They've done it kind of properly without, yeah. you know, making it too kitschy. Um, yeah, no, I'm a fan. This is great. If if I were to critique this watch, the one thing I would omit from the watch is the DS2. I don't know if that was in the original line. I have to look. I see, but. Uh, which is about the automatic red lettering. Mm -hmm. It's kind of applied. I think that looks a little bit off, but like, apart from that, it's a fantastic looking watch. Yeah, no, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, well, it was called a DS2 Colonel Olympic, so I don't know if they had it on the dial, but um, that's what the vintage version was called. So Correct. But yeah, yeah. No, it's very cool. And And the cool thing is, I mean... I know you don't care about vintage, but like you can look for vintage examples of this original model. They're not cheap. They're, they're pretty expensive, but they're really, really cool as far as color combinations go. Yeah. So there's, like I a, think... there's like a white dial. There's like a black dial. It's, it's a really cool line. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm seeing this for the first time and it's like, wow, this is really cool. So I think the vintage ones are about a thousand bucks more in general, a little bit more expensive. Yes, but yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is an understated watch because it was worn by some adventurer and, and not many people know about this person. And I've never heard of a guy skiing down Everest. That's insane. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. No, this is a hit, Sanch. This is a hit. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. You made it up to me. Well, I'm not done yet. I got more, more, more bangers coming up. So, okay. All right, so so we switch to watch you buying. Yep. Oh, quickly, let me get this out of the way. If you have an Amex Gold card, um, 
there's actually two offers on the Amex Gold that are watch related. There's a Crown and Caliber offer and a Hodinkee offer. It, it, it's basically like you spend a certain amount of money and you, they basically give you a, a statement credit. So I think for Hodinkee, it's seven fifty you spend and you get two hundred dollars back. I'd have to double check, but like it's you know if you're if you're in the market for for watches you know this month um, and you have an Amex, uh, check it out. You might be able to save some money. Cool. So save money to spend more money. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Go bigger. That's 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 the All right. Well, I'm going to be in the interest of saving money while spending the money in a better sense. Um, but um, the watches I'm going to talk about, the first one is the Doxa Sub 600T Automatic. Um, cool. which on jo Joma Shop, there's a few flavors, but depending on which one you want, they might be sold out. So the one I kind of highlighting here is the white dial. Um, it's available for $1,113. It's a good price. Which is a 30% discount of $1,589. Um, good price. If you use a code. And That's as we know, Doxa is a well-storied um, brand focused on driving. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to get a true diver's watch and nothing else, really consider this. That's very um, good. All right, Sanch. Very good. And, you know, you're buying a $1,113 watch that can go 600 meters. Yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive. I like it. I like it, Sanch. What, what's next? Oh, wow. Look at you. Just just going through, like, batch processing. Yeah, I got or... it. Next. <laughs> All right. Now, now, you ready? All right. What do you got? The Seiko Prospect 62 Mass. Ooh, SBD C101. Now we're talking. Now that was the, the reissue. All right. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Now I got you awake. All right. So on no one watchers. Yeah. Um, it's available for $970. Ooh. Oh. Original retail is 1310. Yeah. So yeah, 62 mass, huge story. What Seiko's first dive watch, really? Yep, first professional dive watch. Um, you're again Seiko. I think this is a very attractive watch. Um, and you know, given the the story of it and and the re-release, I think this is a good deal. I like it. I like it, Sanch. I actually, you know what? Now that we're on the website, <laughs> if you scroll all the way down, the uh, Noman has the uh, Captain Willard Prospects Two Hundred. They do. SPDC one zero nine, so that's the one with the black uh, dial. It's the one to get. Um, you think so? I would get the uh, the SPDC one one one. Which one is that? The green dial, green bezel. Yeah, I mean, look, if if you're gonna if you're going for a Willard, I feel like you got to go for the, the black. If if you want to, you know, if you want the original or the look. Uh, I like the green. I don't mind the green. Yeah. I, I mean, guess the only the, the downside is you only get it with the strap, but it's also 900 bucks as well. Right, right, right. So yeah, uh, the Willard, you know, there's a couple on sale here as well. So very cool. Well, actually, if you go SBDC 143, which looks like the Captain Willard as well, that's a great off. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too thrilled with that. I, I find that a bit off. Really? I, I think that's a good monochromatic contrast between the gray dial and the black bezel and yeah i i don't i am not feeling that i i prefer the black okay 
it just it is what it is sad sorry it is what it is okay Very cool well I, I like it i like it so i i i have made you happy i, even I am happy i am happy all right um my favorite segment of the night usually internet of you know crap. i mean it's not a common segment but you find these things that iot terrible innovations basically uh it's it's something that we have to cover uh so this is a very quick one uh ford is seeking a patent for a system that would enable its cars to basically annoy you with notifications and beeps or chimes um if you miss a car payment uh, hey man i'm for that pay and up it escalate, <laughs> and it escalates to locking you out of your own car uh that's a shame yeah. So, uh, you know, it's using the infotainment system or the smartphone app to basically go after you for late payments uh, and then progressively it'll start disabling certain features, starting with the radio, which is very annoying, uh, GPS, the smartphone and any other features that, quote, may cause a certain level of discomfort to a driver and occupants of the vehicle. So I wonder if like in the wintertime they shut off the heat. <laughs> you well, know. pay up. <laughs> yeah, you do work for the auto industry, so... Yeah, uh, I mean, if you miss oh, a actually, payment. Interesting. Actually, the car will escalate matters by disabling the air conditioning and the automatic door locking. Uh, it'll cycle through different components, disabling some one day and others the next. It'll really just annoy the hell out of you. And at that point, there'll be a final warning before locking the person out of the car. Um, and that's going to be happening at first, only during weekends. So you can still continue to work so you can make payments. <laughs> How nice of them. Uh, and it may geofence the cars used to, you know, you can only drop off your kid at, at school or, or do groceries. You can't do anything else. Um, it's, I mean, I find that to be a little bit big brotherish. Uh, um, well, I mean, depends, right? Like, I mean, if you buy a product and you're not making payments on the product that you're supposed to, I mean, it's going to be repoed any moment, right? I mean, fair enough. Go ahead and repo the car. I do think that this is a little bit dystopian where, you know, you're basically saying, okay, fine. As long as you're just going to get groceries, if you step out of line, we're going to shut the car down midstream. <laughs> hey, you know what? Bit, this is actually bit, not a bad idea. Internet of poo, this might be a I've, gem. I've uh, I've created a monster, so. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, they can't necessarily, um, they you know, like you can't, they can't make you stop, like say if you're driving the car, they can't shut down the car because that's a safety thing, right? Like, you know, for example, you know, if you stop I mean, at the train tracks. They're, they're shutting off the air conditioning. That's and... a shame. Turn down the windows. I mean, listen, people die from heat exhaustion. It can happen. Well, then stop driving and pay. Wow. Sanjeev. Wow. True colors coming out, people. That's it. That, that's, that's, a, that's a company man right there. It company man, you work in the banking industry. <laughs> no, really, you should pay your car payments. But yeah, anyway. make your car payments. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Anyway, I don't want to live in a dystopia, Sam. Sorry, won't do it. Um, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, you know, we're gonna cover watches that stop working if you miss payments. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know what? You you can basically do that by going on eBay and sorting by uh crypto bros and seeing what they're selling. Uh, you know, you you you'll see some good deals. You know, I suspect I, the watch that I bought was actually sold by a crypto guy because it was at a very deep discount. So actually, now is the time if you have any cash to go 
to go on eBay and see if you can score a deal. Uh, you can really, you know, someone's misfortune can be a real payday for you. <laughs> Spoken like a true capitalist. And you just told me, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what is it? What did you just say about me? Company man. Company, company man. man. Yeah. <laughs> Corporate whale. That's what you are. That's what it is. I'm, I'm going after those crypto bros. All right. Give me the, give me your watches. You freaks. All right. <laughs> All right. Streaming gold. Uh, I got one. Uh, it's a video called what is going on inside Boeing? A uh, couple interesting things going on with Boeing. Um, basically, Boeing may be giving up on competing uh, with Airbus for at least some time. Uh, they've recently announced that they're not going to be releasing any new jets till 2035, which would mean if they don't actually release anything till 2035, that would be a 25-year lag between the 787, which was the last release, and the next jet, whatever that is. I uh, disagree. They're releasing this 777X. Triple seven. That was delayed till 2025. Triple seven X. Yeah, so basically that is the the update to the triple seven. Um, so it's their their longest big wide body jet. Um, does that count as a new release though? I mean, it's not a ground up design. Is that what you're asking for? Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's the distinction here that it's not a ground up design. Okay, uh, that's fair. But I mean, Airbus is not working on anything new. I mean, just as a counterpoint to this discussion. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to go till 2035. Uh, you know, You'll be surprised. Not be I mean, public yet. Well, you know, 25 years is a long time, man, between between new models. The, but I mean, the 787 was so revolutionary at the time. Um, yeah. You know, they'll probably do up, definitely do updates. And, and Boeing is working on concepts for the... Like the something in between the 737 and the 787, they call it the NMA, um, the new yeah. middle. I forgot. Um, but what there's the also a new engine. Called. They're working on a new, um, basically, engine that's gonna look like a prop engine. It's not gonna have a cowling around the, the fan. Um, I know Airbus is doing something similar to, you know, some yeah. eco so, demonstrators and things like that. Basically, but, um, that's their excuse is like, we're working on this new engine. So like, we don't want to do anything, but you, you have to understand that Boeing had a lot of problems as of late, right? You know, the seven, the whole 7.3 Max. Did, did oh, I, I do understand. Yes, they deserve, um, <laughs> they deserve the it. Seven, yes. The 777X was supposed to be launched a couple of years ago, but it's delayed till 2025. I, I, I feel no sympathy for Boeing um, because of how they handled 737 Max. I well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, was a, a... That was a disaster. Those guys... Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's a case study... The garbage, every person yeah, in business or engineering or common sense. Yeah. And, and basically this guy who's a pilot in the video was talking about how quickly Airbus is able to bring designs from concept to completion. And that's, you know, they're doing it faster than Boeing. And I mean, interesting. I mean, you know, it, it, it it's a corporate strategy, right? I mean, you, you can basically say we're going to, we're going to innovate and bring new products, or we can say we're going to cut and make things more efficient and more profitable. Those are two different ways to go, right? Because you know, bringing bringing a new plane is expensive. It does. It's extremely money. expensive. Yeah, I mean, seven eighty seven. They're still, you know, trying to catch up and and recover all their development costs because right. of all the right. And if, it was the seven eighty seven that spurned the development of the A three fifty on on the Airbus side. 
Right, right. Um, but beyond the A350, what else is new? I mean, they're not making anything new. When did Neo come out? That's just a re-engine update. That's, that's the, just a re-engine. So I guess yeah, we're, we're not going like to count that. It's like 77 Max equivalent of the Airbus right. A320 series. So yeah, yeah. Um, apart from that, I mean, keep in mind, like these planes have, these companies have so much of a backlog that they they have to start pumping up the, the backlog and, and clearing it out. Boeing's so. market share has been falling though, right? I mean, they used to dominate. And now I think Airbus actually has the global. Oh, share. they have a much larger share now. I think it's like a 60 40 share. Yeah. So, uh-huh. you know, whereas before Boeing was the senior partner, now it's very much the junior partner. So it's, it's, it is a cutthroat duopoly. You know, Boeing says something about Airbus, Airbus says something about Boeing. You know, Boeing's yeah. always said that Airbus was always a government run operation, right? I mean, it stemmed from. Yeah, but what is Boeing? <laughs> yeah, Boeing gets a lot of government incentives, right? Yeah, so, yeah, you know, and and its military program is heavily subsidizing the. Well, I mean, they moved their headquarters from Chicago to um, basically DC. Yeah, right. So, to be close to the Pentagon, so I think what Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, which is basically yep. DC. So yeah. yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, interesting development, interesting video. Definitely check it out if you're in aviation. Hack. Yeah, I mean, if you even on the Boeing side and on the military side, right, the KC forty six tanker huge problems like huge cost overruns yeah. and then um the new air force one uh, that was uh another cost overrun was that under the trump admin the new air force one I think. uh that stemmed from i believe it kicked off by the obama administration but then the trump administration renegotiated and put boeing in uh in a corner and boeing's you know kind of incurring the sunk costs Stick it to those guys. Stick it to them. No mercy. No mercy. That's right. right but keep in mind, you know, Boeing is still that that you know innovative. They're they're still innovative. I am gonna hit the doubt button on that. Right. I right. I find you know. I mean, we've done multiple stories on Boeing and how they got to where they got. You know, over the last 20 yeah, years. well, because of McDonnell Douglas, the merger. Well, I mean, yeah, Boeing's not the same Boeing anymore. They're they're right, done. Buddy. They're not they in Seattle. Still... They're done. Huh? What? They're not in Washington State anymore. That 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 culture of the engineers first is finished. That that's been gone for twenty years, man. It's over. Yeah, it's it's done. But what I'm trying to say is, like, if you see the triple seven X, there's some innovative features there too. Well, I'm sure they fit in some extra cup holders, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's called CAC, China Aircraft Company. That's the future, right? Get out. Oh <laughs> my gosh. This is now going to be, now you're going to suggest that, you know, this is going to be uh, supported by Chinese advertisement and everything, all right? Well, I, you know, Coming there was a story to you. Foxconn presents the Land Jam podcast. <laughs> there was a story that the, I think Air India delivered or, or basically signed the biggest aviation, civil aviation deal ever splitting yes between boeing and airbus so yes uh you know that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next 15 20 years of how air Air india kind of reinvent reinvents itself but yeah now that they're under something like 600 jets or something like that something yeah but i mean like you know they're not going to get 600 jets in one year it's going to be over like 10 yeah obviously yeah but still i mean that's a huge commitment between Um, airbus and boeing and like i said tata's going through i mean sorry air india is under the tata ownership brand again yeah so um, they're just they're doing what the government of India couldn't do. Yeah, I mean, 
it's gone back and forth over the decades. You know, government of India takes the public and then it goes back to private. There's a reason why I don't fly Air India. <laughs> I flew it when I was a kid and never again. I even told my parents, when I was, I'm like, never again we're flying this airline. Like, literally the armrests were falling off. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was just so gaudy inside. It was awful. Like, the food was terrible. I mean, there are planes. It's a tired fleet. I'm hoping that this... It's not a tired fleet. Tired fleet, tired service, tired everything, all right? We hope for the best, right? You hope for the best. You give these guys high hopes, all right? Listen, nothing beats Kuwait Air for me. That was a rough flight, okay? So uh, if people haven't flown Kuwait Air, uh, you should uh, fly the other Middle Eastern airlines. Skip Kuwait Air. All right, that's that's all I will say. <laughs> well, on that note, Sage, uh... <laughs> what do you got? Last last one. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I we you know we had so much talk. I forgot about this one. So I started watching this a little bit, and it's a channel on YouTube called Wristwatch Revival. Yeah, and I'm, it's I'm familiar. An... I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really cool uh, uh, channel on on YouTube where this uh, gentleman called Marshall. He's a self-taught, you know, watch technician. He's more of a watch enthusiast, and he goes through repairing and as disassembling and assembling watches, um, and from his point of view, and he, he walks you through the the steps he's taken, and it's it's kind of like a, a lighthearted, um, and his point, his opinions, and and stuff like that. It's a really cool, um, series to watch. I would recommend. Yeah, it's kind of like Spencer Klein, uh, except Spencer has a lot of Omega and Seiko concentration and. This guy does a little bit of everything else, and it's 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 interesting. It's a different take. Cool, so. big fan. All right, Sanch, that is another episode. Good yeah, day. good to be back. Good to have you stateside. No more loafing. No more. Uh, and next month we're we're meeting up, so we'll we'll try to get some uh, content out. We'll we'll get some photos, some watch comparisons, and uh, maybe we'll do an episode in person if there's time or short something something like you're that. probably going to bring more watches than change of change of clothes all right i'm i'm basically bringing one on boxer brief and as maybe four or five watches so we'll see that that should be a good balance i think i think so too one for <laughs> like every half day <laughs> but only one pair of underwear yeah that should work out for a four-day trip anyway you have been listening to the land jam podcast <laughs> <laughs> follow us on instagram follow us on twitter uh leave a review on itunes we could use the reviews it, it helps people find the podcast and uh we will see you again thank you